the one thing I've learned about me, and I think it's why every show that I've been directing seems to get bigger and harder or in and completely different genre from the other show is that I love the challenge. And wow. I go, okay, I haven't done that kind of show. I haven't done that style yet. I'm in. I want to do it. Oh, it has these, these, you know, this caliber of actor. I'm in. And I'm scared. Um, but if you're not scared and uncomfortable, then you're not growing. And I'm just like, I'm in. Let's try it. Let's do it. I'll, 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 I'll figure it out. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Allen Schechter, and welcome to Writer's Room Pros, a podcast of conversations with TV and film professionals where we talk about not just their work, but their approach to finding, developing, and ultimately telling stories for a living. This episode, we are excited to welcome Sally Richardson Whitfield, the director and executive producer of the new HBO series, The Gilded Age. In our conversation, Sally takes us behind the scenes of making a period piece, details her move from in front of the camera as an actress to behind it, as well as the responsibility she feels as a black female director in Hollywood. And now, Sally Richardson-Whitfield. I read that you recently signed an overall deal with HBO. This is true. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. I also signed an overall deal with HBO. What? Right. For $12 a month, I get hit movies and exclusive originals and... I'm, I was, I've been waiting to do that joke ever since I read that article. <laughs> now we're going we're gonna to play one of my favorite games. Okay, ready? Guess which old college roommate of mine you co-starred with in a movie. That, I co-starred in a movie. You got to get, get, can you give me a choice of three different movies? Like, like a, give me a, 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 I barely remember the movies I was in. His father, the, no, not, not my old roommate, the director of that movie, his father started the exploitation movement. Okay. So that would have to be Posse. Melvin Van Peoples? No. Charles Lane. No, I didn't go to school with Mario. Yes. Oh my, that has been so yep. long. That was, that was, I think, legit the first time I ever saw you in anything. Because Charles, we, we, Charles and I went to SUNY Purchase together. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And he was, he was, uh, he was my roommate senior year, I think. You know, we had, we, we had this like weird kind of like uh, artistic collective apartment. <laughs> you know, we had an actor in there. We had Charles and I were in the film program. Posse was the first, uh, was the first movie that, uh, that um, you know, I ever saw you in. Um, the... So your journey has really gone, I mean, you, you've kind of hit every metric in a way. Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll talk about writing later. Um, but, you know, I know you did voice work. That was like one of your earlier things. So you were voice actor and then you were doing movies. And then that, you know, the, and the voice acting, I guess, technically was television. But then you started acting in television and then directing television and I know there's aspirations for directing features. So you basically, you've hit every metric. Unless, yeah, I don't know. I, do you have any plans on becoming a writer so you can put the rest of us out of business? Or <laughs> No, and you know, honestly, I do believe that writing is, it, it, it is the hardest thing of them all. Um, you know, producing now more, I have the opportunity to give more notes on the writing and be part of, um, uh, 
you know, helping usher these new scripts, you know, I'm very good at finding where the issues and the holes are and things like that. But uh, even, even after reading your book, um, <laughs> I still trying to break up, you know, cause I did have some, I've had ideas and you put it up on the, you know, on the wall and I'm trying to break it up. It, it's still, my mind doesn't necessarily work like that. Uh, but you know, I used to say that about directing and, um, now I'm directing. So maybe one day, but I don't think I'm going to put you out of business yet. <laughs> okay. Thank you. You know, that's, uh, on behalf of the Schechter family, we appreciate that. Um, now when did you, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but I think, I think it's, it, it is safe to say that you have made it as a director, right? You're, you're in demand. I actually tried to get you, um, working on, uh, one of my friend's shows, uh, Shining Vale, um, and you were not available. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if your agent even told you about that, but I, yeah, I think I, no, it's funny. Well, because I mean, obviously, because of the deal now, there's a lot going on that they don't tell me because there's no way I can do it. And then there's projects that call that would break my heart that I can't do. Um, so they just don't tell me anything anymore right. until I'm free to do something. Right. Um, anyway, so but I, it's, you know, it's feels comfortable saying that you've made it as a director. It, it, I mean, do you feel that? I mean, you, you could be immodest here. It's just us talking. Nobody, nobody's ever going to watch this. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny is that um, at this point, I have decided that I'm okay claiming uh, that, yeah, I think I have. And that I think I'm a pretty good director. And um, I think I've found the thing I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I, I say that maybe 30 years of acting was really to prepare me for what I'm doing now. You know, I didn't go to a university for it, but I, I definitely, uh, you know, I learned on the job. And I think it's a good way, you know, TV is different and you can go to a university and then once you're on a real set, it's a whole new ball game. And um, I, once I really started directing, I realized how much I actually knew from being on a set for so many years. Right. Well, I remember when you, you directed a, an episode of Stitchers and you were like wildly prepared. Um, you know, you, 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 I remember when we had, we had some, you know, some great directors throughout the, the seasons and you would just watch what they were doing and ask them questions. And, you know, and then when, when it came that you could direct one of our episodes, episodes, you were, just all over it. Um, I mean, is that your is that your model now? Still, like like that kind of level of preparation? Absolutely, always. I mean, obviously, you know, in Stitchers, I was also in it. So um, when I'm acting and directing, I have to be even more prepared because I'm memorizing lines. I'm not going to be able to be in the scene and look, you know. So there's a different, even a different level there. But I think that from the very beginning, when I first started directing Eureka, which is the first time I started directing, um, you know, I, I'm an over-preparer. <laughs> I try to prepare enough. I always say I can, I prepare so much that once I'm on the set, um, especially now that I'm so used to doing it, if I want to change my plan because I see something interesting happening that I didn't plan for, I can do it now because I have the freedom. Um, because there is a plan. 
but I just never want to, you know, as a, as a woman director, as a person of color, I don't feel like there is as much margin for error for me. So I work really hard to, to do the best job on any, any show I go to, because I just don't feel like I have that opportunity to fail and give and be given another chance. Right. It's interesting. I, I, I read a quote from you from a couple of years ago. I think it was like five years ago um, you know, when you were really just kind of hitting a stride with directing where you felt that, you know, um, you know, as a woman of color, that if you failed, then every other woman of color who would come after you would be judged by your failure, which is not necessarily if it was, you know, the, you know, a white guy directing something, you know, there, the next white guy comes in, he's not being judged by the failures of the previous white guy. I mean, do you, you know, now I, I, I know, I know that you, you felt that strongly back then, it's five years ago. Do you still think that's the case? Do you still think like there's? Absolutely. Because I'm still most of the time, um, not only am I usually, you know, a lot of the times the only woman there, I'm definitely the only black woman that is coming in directing the show, especially some of the shows that I'm doing. You know, they're not, um, uh, I mean, these shows on HBO or like doing Wheel of Time, these are not shows that you would necessarily see someone like me in that place, which means that you have many actors who have probably never been directed by anybody of color in general. If I'm the only representation of that, then if I don't do a good job, that's the only, you know, that's the only thing they have in their head. So I really take it seriously because I know that even even just as women, I know that whoever comes after me um, will have a harder time if I don't do it. Because I've come after people who have done a bad job, and now I have to um, I, I have to prove myself even more than I was going to have to prove myself anyway. Because you know how the producers are. You know how you guys are. You come and you go, uh, so. Because you can tell even in prep if somebody is going to do a good job. And they're like, what, what's happening? And the DP will go, we're good. We're good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I mean, I, I remember very distinctly that um, you, um, you did not suffer fools easily when you were being directed by somebody who you felt was not as prepared as you thought that they should be. And then I also, but I also remember when you were directing that not a peep from anybody, well, so it was family, right? So it was like the, the cast knew you and the crew knew you. So, but again, you know, there, there, are, there are people, you know, close to Video Village who, you know, certainly would have piped up to me um, if they thought things were going wildly off the rails. And, and I still remember your episode was like one of the episodes, well, uh, Eric Tuckman wrote it. I think he wrote it maybe even with Lynn Litt. So it was like the ninth episode of the third season, I want to say. Um, anyway, so we're, we're, you know, we're far in the process already. But, you know, but you, 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 know, you knew Tuckman from Eureka, right? Um, right? So it was like, it was a very family kind of setup. But that was, that was the show that, or the episode where, or one of the episodes where I, like, I had nothing to do. I could just focus on, you know, episode 10, you know, prepping episode 10. Because it's like, oh, Sally's directing. She'll be fine. <laughs> you know, Eric Tuckman is there with Lynn. They'll, it'll be fine. 
remember I was, um, and what was funny is all of a sudden it was one of my biggest episodes. Like <laughs> we had the shootout in there, it, you know, I was like, this is the episode you guys give me. <laughs> right. Um, but right. it worked out well. I mean, I, it, the same thing happened. The first episodes that I did of Eureka, somehow they became like my hardest acting episodes too. Um, and I'm like, these are like the episodes you get give me for my first two episodes of TV for, you know, ever. And even on Stitchers, it was the same thing. But the one thing I've learned about me, and I think it's why every show that I've been directing seems to get bigger and harder or in and completely different genre from the other show is that I love the challenge. And I go, OK, I haven't done that kind of show. I haven't done that style yet. I'm in. I want to do it. Oh, it has these, these, you know, this caliber of actor. I'm in. And I'm scared. Um, but if you're not scared and uncomfortable, then you're not growing. And I'm just like, I'm in. Let's try it. Let's do it. I'll, 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 I'll figure it out. Yeah, but you, you don't come off as scared. I mean, you never. You, there were no, there were no red flags. Like, oh, Sally's really nervous today. You know, it's in my belly, you know, but you know, the one thing, the first thing that I learned is that honestly, like, you know, the saying, don't let them see you sweat. If you don't have the answer, pretend you have the answer or, or just be like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. Let, let's just put a pin in that. Um, cause I, I'm going through two different things may not be true, but as long as everyone believes you're leading, they'll follow you. If you're like going, uh, I don't know, I don't know, you can't do that. So sometimes I'm definitely inside. I'm like, oh, holy hell. Uh, you know, like I just in the, I just uh, directed the Lakers finale, uh, you know, the new winning game for HBO. And I'm directing Sally Field. The first time I meet her on set, and, and she happens to be one of the women, like I've loved her my whole life. So inside, I want to go, I just want you to know I love you. And, and, but I'm going, okay, wait till, you've, wait till you're done directing her. And then you can tell her how much you love her. Right now, it's like, hi, Sally. Pleasure to meet you. Okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, and it's complete performance art until later. <laughs> right. Wow. Is it, um, you know, directing Sally uh, Fields in a uh, Lakers thing? Was, uh, did it take a lot of time to get her into, uh, you know, into the Magic Johnson makeup or did it, um, yeah, I know she's, um, she's amazing how tall she can be. <laughs> <laughs> she did, she did all her stunts herself I hear in that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, uh, you know, like when you're talking about like, if you, if you don't know the answer, you put a pin in it, you know, type of thing. It's like. Yeah, that was the sort of like the classic. I mean, the, the two schools, right? The classic advice is, you know, admit you, you know, admit you don't know it and get everybody around and everybody's going to feel really like now they're part of the solution. But I, I think in, in leadership positions, people at some, you know, lizard brain level, they don't want to see indecisiveness, you know, from somebody who's in that position of leadership, you know. They want a leader. Now, of course, there are things that I don't know, and you hope, you know, what I like is that you, 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 you form this trust with your DP and first, pretty much. So then when you get to things, 
where you haven't figured it out yet or maybe you haven't done that yet then you can go hey guys just so you okay i haven't done this yet i may need some you know this may need to be i'll go this may be a group effort here let's figure this out together um because i because i do think at a certain point you do have to admit what you don't know um to get help or you will fail you know when you get on these bigger shows it really is about collaboration you can't right. uh you cannot do um a hundred million dollar show on your own there's reasons you have people there to help you in the departments and then you know and once like even do like i said doing the lakers i haven't shot these huge basketball scenes do i know basketball bit yes have i shot action sequences which it's pretty much like yes so now I have to transfer that to basketball and no I didn't know how to completely do that. I but I do know me. Once I'm on my feet and I'm in there, I go, "Okay, this is what this is. Now we get to our second day of basketball. Now I'm grooving, you know." So, but the more accomplished you get, the more room there is for you to admit what you don't know. In the beginning, they're assuming you know nothing. So you have to pretend a little more to keep that respect. It's kind of weird like that. Yeah, I read some book years ago on directing where they're talking about the difference between uh, directing in America and directing in England. And I think the the I hope I'm not inverting this, but I think the the point that the the writer who was a director was trying to say was trying to make was he says like in England they assume you know what you're doing um, until you prove that you don't. And then in America, they assume you don't know what you're doing until you prove that you do. And also, but also in um, just in Europe in general, direct, directors are king. When you're in the States more, it's more of a writer's medium um, until you're at a certain point as a director. So um, uh -huh. it's it's just a different kind of, but I definitely think, uh, especially in the beginning, I had to go in there and prove that I was capable. I wasn't given the benefit of the doubt. And now I have, an, you know, I, I at least come with enough credits that I, you know, they assume I can't be a complete idiot. I've, we've had, remember on Stitchers, we had people come in who had directed many, many hours of TV and you go, what? Holy hell this person has no idea or they just decided the show was going to be easy and they found out it wasn't. Right. Right. Did I ever complain to you about any of our other directors? Yes. And <laughs> no names, obviously no names, but we didn't have to, I'm there. You know, we know the people who are coming in and you're going right. these. And, and it's like you said, I would never, I never would want to be the director where people were going, she had no plan because I have experienced those people coming in and you can't do a show in that lab with people moving around with numerous people. You have to have a plan of what the, what is the blocking going to be? Cause this person needs to be here and this needs to happen here. You can't come up with that on the fly. Yeah. There were a lot of moving pieces on that, uh, that lab set from stitchers. So, uh, and, and anybody there who uh, hasn't seen Stitchers, you should see it. So you can see Sally, who's fantastic in it, and also uh, the lab set that we're talking about. This show is brought to you by Showrunner Industries, makers of Writers Room Pro. 
For more about the app and this show, make sure to check us out at writersroompro.com and follow us on Instagram at writersroompro. Now, back to the show. Do you think that your relationship to writers has changed from when you were acting versus directing? I guess as an actor, you you didn't really deal, you know, I don't know, you, you deal directly with the writers sometimes, but as a director, there's much more, but it's also television, which is on, you know, like you're the visiting director who wants to hear too much, but you want to hear some, I don't know. It's like, what's the relationship with writers? Well, you know, as an actress, you're really only thinking about your character. Um, and, um, as a director and, and this is now, now more that I'm, um, involved in the writing process a little more as a producer, obviously I have more to say. Um, but even coming in as a direct, a guest director, I, I'm, I, I still think it's my job to point out if I feel there are holes there, you know? And um, that would be different than, even though I know some actors think that's their job too. Um, <laughs> but as a director, if I know that, hey, this seems, there seems to be something missing here, this and this. Also, um, I pitch things if I, if I have a, fi- a vision for how I could, um, you know, for directing and how I could make this a little better. I give, you know, I'm now I'll give pitches. I'm like, if, if we just made this little tweak or I need a little bit of dialogue here so I can make this camera move more. And it usually opens it up, you know, bigger visually. Um, so I, it's more of a collaborative, um, you know, process now. And then, and then of course, then producing on the Gilded Age. Um, I have a lot to do with that and talking about talking about the scenes and what should happen and in oh this isn't connecting here and and even you know julian in his writing he writes really much like a play and so the visual aspect of it is really all left to you so when you see my episodes he it just starts there in the house talking any openings and stuff are things that i come up with myself so that you have a great opening and end. And then I'll talk to Julian about it and let him know, does this feel good to you? And then he writes it into the script so that it's in there. So everyone knows what we're doing. So it's definitely a closer um, relationship now. But the early reviews that I've read have been like spectacular for it. So that's got to feel kind of gratifying anyway. I'm excited about, um, uh, yeah, for people to see it, it's a it it it's it's a beautiful show. It's really the um, the scope of it is huge. The costumes, the we couldn't have had. I think we may have every Broadway star in New York is in it. So the caliber of um, actors in it can they could say anything and it would be brilliant. So we just you know we have that going for us. So I can't wait to see how people feel. You know, I think that Downton's um, uh, fans will be happy. And, and But I think it's not so much the same. It's different enough and it's American and it has more, you know, has more of a drive to it and a muscular feeling to it that new fans um, who like that genre will like it too. Yeah, now you, you're listed as, uh, I think, Michael Angler. Is that his name? The co-director? Yeah. So did you guys 
co-direct all the episodes or some? He directed five and I did, so it's basically like nine and a half episodes because the first, he did the pilot. The first episode is an hour and a half. And then um, what we did do is we, we directed the whole season at, we cross-boarded the whole season at the same time. So I did episodes three, four, five, and six, and he did the front and the back. Um, oh, okay. So you didn't actually co- you didn't actually co-direct a single episode together. We have our own episodes, and we were really separate entities. You know, we have our own DP, and so there might be a time he shoots a week. So it was just an odd thing. So I feel like normally you would get a pilot, and then I would watch the pilot and see what his ideas are. And then I go from there. That's not, and that's why I became such a bigger part of it and became one of the executive producers because we really directed the whole thing at the same time, which means that I was very much a part of creating the look of the show. He, he, I think he started the first two weeks of shooting. Then I came in and I shot a week or two. And then we'd, one day he might shoot in the beginning of the day, I'd come in, take over the crew, and do this part. All of our scenes that we shot in Newport, um, because we could only go there uh, one time, we, for all the episodes, we shot all the Newport stuff there. And so it was just a different... So none of the episodes were actually done until the very end. Because everything... So it was just a different way of shooting, and it worked very well for us. You know, we, I could see what he was doing and go, oh, I like the way he did that. And then he'd look at me and go, ooh, that was cool. I didn't think, okay, I'll steal that. So it was um, it was a great experience, and I feel really a part of the show because of that. Yeah, it's it sounds like that type of um, cross-boarding, you know, uh, it's super efficient, you know, especially when you have a show of such scale like this where it's like, you know, you're not, you're not over the course of 10 episodes, you're not returning to Newport, you know, for episode one and episode, you know, like cr- move the whole crew and everything. So it's super efficient. The, um, and working with Julian Fellows, you know, who's just a spectacular writer, you know, was, you know, had to be a great experience, but has, so like you would get a, I, I, I kind of want to understand this sort of your approach to storytelling, um, you know, had that it kind of. You would get a script. Let's talk like process. You're, in, you're as an actor. You get a script. You know, you start reading it. You know, let's assume you read it just for the story first. But what's your, like, what's your entry point into the script as an actor versus your entry point into the script as a director? Is it different? So hard, because um, I think I do it very much still from an actor's point of view. It's kind of very instinctual for me. Um, so, you know, obviously as an actor, you're mostly just thinking about your character, right? You know, it's one of those, when I first get a script, um, and I'm really into my scriptation now, I download it into my scriptation and I, um, I'll read it that first time I read it, I will get initial, um, ideas you know like I'll, there are certain scenes that'll like visually come to me like I can you know I see it so I write those notes down immediately just so because you'll lose them right then I start you know then I go through and I read a few more times just so I really know it and then 
I have my seam and I will start with my blocking first um, because I love blocking. And now, because I'm also coming from the actor world, when I've read it, I've read it as an actor would and I've start dreaming about where this person would go and and what they're feeling. Like I'm going very much by what I think that character would feel because now I know them. Because I mean, you know, just as a sidebar, like because what I was thinking um, was that the, you know, that the muscle that you use, like as a writer, I read a script differently than well, I was gonna say, you know, like when I've directed, I read the script, it's a little more technical, you know, but then again, I'm usually directing something that I've written. So, you know, so it's like, I, it's, it's, it's like kind of baked into the DNA of the script that I kind of know what's there, you know, so I, I guess it's not really a fair comparison. I don't, I don't have a, like, oh, somebody handed me a script that they wrote. Now I have to direct it. And, you know, so I have, I guess I haven't had that particular experience. I think I go about things much different and then I kind of go straight to work on it. I figure out blocking and once I have blocking, then I know where my masters need to be. And then I know, start knowing the coverage I need. Is it overly ambitious for me to think that as a director, that you would, you would look at a, you would look at the script and say, how does my, how does my blocking that I'm thinking of does it support the story or not support the story? It was like, like, like my big thing, like when I would, when I would do, um, you know, my tone meetings, you know, um, with directors, we would sit and for those who don't know, like a tone meeting is, uh, it's kind of almost the last thing you do before you start shooting an episode. So it's usually the writer and the showrunner and the director and maybe the line producer all sit in a room together and go through the script scene by scene and the director is kind of downloading from the showrunner and from the writer here's what's important to me about this scene here's the tone of this scene right so so my my big expression would always be here's the story of this scene right and then you know it's like you know uh you know what jeff jeff sits down at you know his desk and drinks from a coffee cup without looking and suddenly notices it's got a logo on it and he reads the logo right and the logo is somehow important to the storytelling right so in a tone meeting i would say well the story of the scene is the is the reveal of the logo right so then now we get to the floor and they're shooting the scene and it might be a wide and it's this and you know and you know it's coming somebody's doing this and then they're like okay let's move on and i'm going whoa whoa you didn't get a close-up of of the cup where, you know, we can see, and we didn't get enough, we didn't, we weren't inside enough on the face to say there's something about the logo, right? So, you know, so I would always, I, I, to the point of annoyance, I'm sure, you know, tell directors, I go, you didn't tell the story. You didn't tell the story of the scene, right? Instinctive, because I, of course that's where I go, I start from, um, but, and which is why I'm usually, which it's hard for me to voice how I do it, but I do know it does all start from what is the story, right? 
and making sure, but that becomes part of my note taking, you know, like, um, what are the beats? And those are my specialty shots. What are our special shots to that are going to tell us, you know, tell this story? But, you know, blocking for me is sort of natural because as an actor, like that's, I can usually block people very easily because I go, okay, well, you need to get here, like you said, for the story. Um, the story says you have to get here, you have to get here, you have to get here. So in this dialogue, what are the things that would make you get up to go there? And why would you hear it? Because I don't like people sitting all the time. So even though it says you're sitting here, well, maybe we can start here. You know, how do we get us moving in this scene? But it all needs to make sense so that we tell the story. Um, usually those are my specialty shots. Um, but yeah, everything starts with story. Right. But, but I, I've also, I, I, mean, I have a very, um, uh, I think probably a different way of getting into things. Um, but I always, because I go over it and over it and over it, I always get those pieces that, pieces, pieces, I always tell people, pieces, 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 tell the story. Because what's funny is you're explaining what I'm, ex um, I'm, I'm especially good at, um, that I get the pieces that um, other directors don't get. Because, right. because I'm coming to it and I'm thinking of the scene in a very emotional way. I go, yeah, but we need a little push on his eyes here so that we see when he's looking down here. And um, I like, I don't like inserts a lot. So I like to somehow, how do we combine this cup into a shot so that it isn't so like, oh, let's go to that shot, you know, because we need it. Um, so I'm always <laughs> thinking about how do we tell this story in an interesting way. Um, and usually my way into it is blocking that makes sense that feels natural right. and it helps us tell the story and then i go okay now how do we get wide out here and give me some every every scene i do i want that pretty where is our pretty shot um where is our big wide and where are special shots that bring me in and out of the scene and then at the very end unless it's obvious i do my pass of transitions because that when you can have beautiful transitions, um, and you know, and I always say the sim simple version is, oh, you put a cup down here and someone picks it up in another scene. Um, sometimes it's as simple as um, making sure that someone went in a door, you know, you see them open doors like this on um, to your right, and then when we come into the next scene, the doors are opening to the right, and it just has this natural flow and gives your you, you can tell when people have really thought about their transitions, it's a much more cohesive piece. So uh -huh. I, you know, I, I have lots of processes, you know. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, like I, like I found just from personal experience sometimes that, you know, like there's stuff like in, in the storytelling process, there's some things that are like, you know, you know like, like a good story is a house of cards meaning like if you can pull one of the cards out then and the and the house doesn't collapse you probably didn't need that story beat because it's not it's it, 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 you know things are not critical you know based on it no i'm not talking about like a beauty shot or something like that that enhances the experience of watching it but it's just from i'm um, from a strict structural viewpoint right so um you know and i'm i've kind of 
become a little cynical and jaded with the, you know, the number of directors who kind of don't have the big picture. Like they don't see the story, at, you know, in its entirety. They, you know, you know they, they, they kind of think of it too granularly and they don't see how things work. Like I, I had, you know, um, you know, like a, um, a movie that I had, uh, shot it was like a mini series and um and it was like this critical component because like one of the characters has to do this like huge sacrifice you know at the end um you know of the uh, piece and it's the old canard of you know the two keys that are too far apart so you need two people you know because you know like one person can't turn both keys you know, so, you know, and one of the things doesn't work. So the person's got to go like where the bomb is and, tri- you know, they're, they're turning this and triggering it here because like you couldn't have two people do it at the same time. You know, it's like that type of thing. And um, and then I'm literally like looking at set photos. I'm going, the, the two key things are like a foot and a half apart. It's like, how do you how do you miss that? And I'm saying, you know, you, you know, and I'm saying you can't shoot the scene that way. You have to actually rebuild that's because otherwise the entire sacrifice the whole third act you know of this thing falls apart because there's no need for the sacrifice right right but that's like saying okay so now suddenly like it's a set deck and uh, you know the director missed it set deck missed it like how do like how do people miss that thing so that's that's to me that's just like well you know if you have a, a greater appreciation of story and you go those keys are not just oh it's a it's a it's a device you know that triggers bombs you go no it's it's a storytelling piece the story falls apart if these keys are too close to each other. There's times I've read it a bunch of times and then the, the night before when I've shot listed and planned everything I'm still rereading it again and go oh my god I forgot this one emotional beat and I'm on the I'm texting hey um. Did you remember that we need this one thing? And I just saw, and we, we maybe, you know, so um, that's part of, I, I guess that would be part of my process is not missing those little beats because I'm constantly rereading to make sure um, and knowing that I need to make those big decisions um, uh, early, uh, like you're talking about, so that we're not going back and refixing everything. Um, uh, I, most uh, set designers are love me because they know that I've thought about it and I don't change, you know, I'm not coming back to them later going, oh, I didn't really think about that. I'm very clear about the things that I need and why I need them because they're going to pay off later. Uh, so I think that, you know, as much as it's hard to explain what I do, um, a, a lot of it is is about being aware of the details that are um, impor- important, the little things that pay off later. Right. Cool. Um, what do you find writers do, you know, like, not every writer, obviously, but like you, you read a script, and as a director, what do you find that writers do too much of in scripts? And then we'll go the other way. What do they not do enough of to help you out? So what are they, what are they doing too much? You know, besides like they're directing it, like they're calling out every shot, which I know that's the, you know, everybody hates that. Right. But besides, besides that, like what, what, what are they doing too little of and what are they doing too much of? Like I'm trying to find what's that sweet spot as a director you look for in a script. Like they're overriding. Nobody talks that, you know, 
so that you don't have any nuance where we can play with, like you don't have to say everything because people in life don't say everything. Um, and I think that um, scripts are a little more rich when you have to read between the lines and have a little more, um, you know, nuance. And I, I can read it from what the actor's doing in their eyes and, you know, uh, so the stuff that's over, you know, and not being, and, and writing scenes that there's a lot of times when I go, like you were saying, does this scene move the story along? If it doesn't, why is this scene? I mean, there are scenes I go, this is like, I can tell a scene. I'm like, this is getting cut. I don't care about this scene. It's not moving the story along. There's no payoff for it. What is this but a waste of my time? And 99% of the time, I'm absolutely right, and it's being cut. And now we've wasted money and time. So I think, um, um, and then writers not being willing to to really see that and be willing to to cut something that doesn't need to be there. Well, that's the kill your darlings principle, right? You have to not be afraid to kill your darlings. I mean, I, there are many times there are beautiful shots where I just, you know, after editing, I'm like, I love that shot, but it's, it's not help. It like, it, it's gotta go. We just don't have the time for it. And it's going to make everything tighter. So, you know, I'd be like, okay, just take it, take it. So I don't have to think about it. My name is Saul Blinkoff. I made my career as an animator director for the Walt Disney Company, Netflix, and DreamWorks. And you are listening to the podcast, Writer's Room Pros. Yeah, and I give you so much credit because, um, you know, acting, it's not, it's not easy, right? I know that it's not easy. But there's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, long stretches of intense boredom punctuated by brief moments of wild excitement, right? And it's like, great, we got that. Okay, let's turn around. Uh, Sally, why don't you go uh, relax for 45 minutes? You know, and it's like, uh, directing is 14, 16, 18 hours a day, nonstop, 200, 300, 400 people waiting for you to determine something. You know, it's like, you know, you go, you know, as an actor, you go, oh, you know what? I think that chair really should be red. And somebody goes, yeah, that's great, Sally. Okay, so let's go here. Let's run lines, okay? As a director or the producer, you go, you know, I think that chair should be red. It's suddenly like, you know, uh, what, what color red would you like your chair, Sally? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, now you have 15 people trying to please you, right? So there's, you know, there's this constant decision making. But directing is... I think it's harder than being a showrunner. You know, I'm like, I like, I, I've, I've got, I almost have, I've done it all. I acted in high school. I don't know if you remember me and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum edited with R. Murrow. It was brilliant performance. People still talk about it. Yeah. But, um, you know, but I've, I've written, I've run shows. I've, you know, I've directed and I used to think I really wanted to direct. And the couple of times I directed, I went, this is too hard. You know, it's not. It's not like I didn't. I, it's not like the the decision making was too hard. It's just grueling work. It's you know, you know. So it's there is a weight, um, because at the end of the day, that's what it it becomes your responsibility if it's good or bad, and your decisions 
it, it, it's a lot of pressure sometimes. I mean, there's definitely been times when I thought, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this show um, because of the amount of anxiety and pressure and weight on my, on my shoulders. Um, and um, because it can't, you know, if you don't make the right decisions, things, you know, things aren't, you know, they can save anything, but it won't be brilliant. And um, it, it's, it, I, you're right. I, it's a hard, it's a hard process. And as an actor, you know, you get bored. There's no time to be bored when you're direct. Every minute, every minute while they're setting up a shot, I'm thinking about the next shot and how it connects here and how do we go here? How does that cut? It's a long day. And, and managing the personalities of the actors and the producers and every other department head and massaging that and getting the best out of people. It's a juggling act. It's, um, yeah, it's not just directing. Yeah. And just, it's not just directing. It's, and it, it's like, you've got to be in like physical shape. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a marathon. I read a story many, many years ago. I don't know if it's still true that, that Spielberg would say that as soon as he wrapped every show that he, or any, any movie that he directed, he would then get sick for like, two weeks it's like it's like he physically didn't have time to be sick during production but as soon as production stopped his body's like okay hell with this <laughs> you know you know, you know you know that exhaustion that okay now now we're bringing it on you know that flu we didn't have four weeks ago here it is you know it's like yeah it's just it's the craziest craziest thing anyway sally Thank you so much for spending all this time with us. You know, I'm, you know, I, I, I can't quite say I knew you when, though I did see you in Posse and, um, you know, that was, you know, that was kind of the start, but, um, you know, I really appreciate you spending the time. Absolute best of luck. I'm anticipating that, um, that we will continue chatting informally over the years and I will continue to be wildly impressed by uh, everything that you do. And I want to say, Jeff, thank you. Thank you. Honestly, you know, at the very beginning of when I really started to direct a lot, um, you know, you giving me the opportunity to direct on the show, you know, on Stitchers. And then, you know, you guys also let me out of the show to go, you know, for like two episodes to do Scandal and which really... <clears throat> helping me like that really is the thing that helped launch me. Um, and you know, in supporting me like that, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. That's very sweet of you. So, you know, look, we're, we're all in it together. I mean, that's, it's one of the things that I actually love the most really about the business is that it's, it's really, I mean, look, you got, you got your nut bags and you got, you know, bad actors, not like people who act bad, but you know, people with bad character, um, but in general, it's the nicest people in the world. So, and when, you know, dealing with somebody like you, it's, it's very, it's very easy to say yes. <laughs> so. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks again to Sally Richardson Whitfield for joining us. Next week, we welcome Stephen Kane, the showrunner for the new Paramount Plus series, Halo. Make sure you're subscribed to get your notification when the episode drops. See you next time.